for our acts The sea can be deep for our diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raw Recovery, a Trudging Together podcast. My name is Dion Miller. I am your host. It's Tuesday. Um, one of these days, we ought to do a two for Tuesday. I'm ecstatic to have our uh, guests on today. Whenever our producer, Shane, um, suggests, uh, you know, and maybe I shouldn't really set it up like that, put an expectation on, but he always finds these great speakers man so whenever he says dion talk to this person i bring them on sierra thank you for taking your time today and coming on and sharing your story with us i appreciate it absolutely thank you for having me mm-hmm. um so yes yeah, well what we're going to do from here sierra and i talked a little bit but this was one of those ones where i kind of wanted to discover the story on my own while we were talking so we haven't done much um the only thing that i really do know is that sierra uh, knows shane and that her drug of choice was opiates so um so sierra did you grow up in colorado where'd you where'd you grow up at I did. I grew up in Parker. Okay. And, you know, really, I was there till I was like 14 and okay. then started kind of going on my own and doing a bunch of other things. But okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, the show is yours. So the show is about Sierra now. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and hand it on over to you. Uh, the floor is yours and, uh, we're going to sit here and listen to your story. All right. Well, so I guess we'll start it. Um, I was born in Florida and we moved to Colorado when I was about like 10 or 11 months old. Okay. Um, The reason we moved from Florida to Colorado is because my biological mother, um, she was struggling with addiction. Okay. And she was murdered by this guy who, um, he was a dealer. He was a lot older. My mom was 19 when she passed. Okay. Um, And yeah, he basically just, you know, cooked a shot of cocaine for her and, you know, shot her up with it. And she started overdosing and seizing out and all that scary stuff. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, cleaned his house and did all this other stuff before he called an ambulance. By the time they got there, she was brain dead. Yeah. Um, And after that, you know, her parents, so my grandparents adopted me. And so I call them mom and dad. Okay. When I talk about mom and dad, that's who I'm talking about. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that because I'm easily confused. So. (laughs) Yeah. So that's totally, you know, that's how it started for me. Okay. And were, were you 10 months, 11 months old when that happened? 10 months. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, you know, um, apparently a big custody battle went on between my biological father and my parents. Um, but of course, you know, my parents won mm-hmm. and, so my biological dad stays out of my life until I'm a teenager. Okay. So after we moved to Colorado, you know, things were pretty good. Um, when I was about three years old, I had a friend um, who lived down the street from me, like two houses, two or okay. three houses down. 
and her dad was very abusive and there was a little well there was some you know sexual abuse going on from okay. him all right when i was very young so that kind of contributes to my addiction in the future sure and, trauma in there certainly yes traumas i think i think that's the number one reason we Absolutely. all use yeah i would agree with you on that absolutely totally. well, see, yeah. so yeah that's why when we see someone who's still struggling we have to just understand they are very sad mm -hmm. you know they're yeah. running and, and and they were sick just like we used to be you know yeah you know but for the grace of god there goes me that's that's me standing in those shoes just a little while back you know absolutely Doing the same things mm -hmm. that is scary so how did how did that end up with that did you um did you end up moving away from them did you did you let your parents know or nope i didn't let my parents know um until i was a little older and see the thing is he it could have been a lot worse, which I'm not uh, saying it wasn't already bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But thankfully he, you know, it was, he was molesting me, not yeah. no, you know, penetration or anything. So that's very good. Yeah. Um, so I didn't tell my parents, I didn't really understand it. Yeah. I mean, know? you just kind of knew it was wrong, but I mean, when you're three, how do you explain? I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was confusing. So yeah, I did end up telling my mom, uh, you know, maybe when I was like, I don't know, 10, maybe okay. by that time they had already moved. And my mom was like, Oh, like as I got older, she said that my behaviors when I was younger made a lot more sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. After finding that out, you know, so that, uh, you know, was a big part of it. And then also finding out that my grandparents were not my real parents. That was a big thing for me too. I felt so betrayed okay. Okay. and kind of like, worthless almost like i didn't see my situation as they were like like i was so blessed to have a new fam like not a new family but to have such a great family and yeah. to be adopted into the same family and all that all i could focus on was that my parents didn't want me like that's yeah. how i felt so but, that um and yeah. isn't that kind of a culmination of, of what was going on before? I mean, I really think that what happened to you at three-year-old had, had a huge effect on what happened to you. Because as kids, we don't say, I feel this, I feel that. I, we say, my stomach hurts, or we act out, you know, things like that. So, yeah. um, wow. On, on just how much it can affect. I just, I needed to throw that in there because it just made so much sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It can affect so much. And, you know, treatment is what has got me on the other side of everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those feelings of betrayal and abandonment and everything, they definitely stayed with me forever but i did mm -hmm. have a really good childhood apart from everything else you know sure. my parents just loved me and still love me so much and i was a dancer for like 11 or 12 years of my life and that was okay. an amazing outlet for me mm -hmm. and I was doing really good in school, you know, like everything was awesome. But then when I hit middle school, um, things got a little out of control. Okay. 
you know, I started drinking when I was 12. Okay. And, you know, the first time I drank, I just almost felt like it was a competition with myself. Like, you know, like thinking like, how far can I go with this? Like, because in my head, (laughs) (laughs) you're pushing your limits. Yeah. I hear you. (laughs) The very first time, you know, cause I, I, I just thought, you know, maybe the cool thing was to like, slam a bottle like and not make a face like Mm -hmm. you know i just had this super uh twisted way of like looking at things Mm -hmm. (laughs) so of course i went off the deep end from there you know not soon after i started drinking i started doing ecstasy and uh that became really regular too after i tried that when i was in eighth grade okay you know and i was smoking weed so well ecstasy was really big in parker yes i was doing it then too that's the only reason i know yeah i could just run over to Fanugies and grab it if i wanted to it was so easy to get in parker so it was everywhere yep and it was you know it was fun at the time. Sure. You know, it was whatever. So yeah, that was a big thing. And I had my group of friends, you know, that I would do it with all the time. And anytime they had something, I would do it, you know, of course, like it Mm -hmm. was a group and we were just totally doing what everyone else did. So in ninth grade, that's when my life gets a little out of control, like completely okay. out of control. All right. And I never went to school when I was, well, okay, actually, okay, let's back it up. So when I was in eighth <laughs> grade, I was a huge, I was very upset, you know? Okay. Completely upset. And by that time, my head found out that the cause of my mom's death was, you know, like a murder overdose type thing. Okay. And it was very hard for my family to talk about. Sure. I didn't have much information on my mom. Okay. And I just wanted to know her like that void. That's what I was trying to fill. I just had, I wanted my mom. Yeah. You know, I wanted to know who she was. So, um, you know, all that anger, sadness, depression, whatever was going on. I was a bully in eighth grade. I was violent and had outbursts of anger, like just, it was so bad. So I ended up trying to, I had a suicide attempt in eighth grade. And I wrote out this huge suicide note and I was just feeling so hopeless, like just Mm -hmm. wishing that I could be somebody else. Yeah. You know, like just wanting a different life because all the terrible emotions were so much for me. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to handle them. They're very overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And they just suffocate you. You feel like Mm -hmm. you're just drowning in sorrow and you just can't breathe. Yeah. You know, so I hit that point in my life. I took uh, all the pills. I mean, that were in the cabinet. Okay. Um, And it was late at night and. Then I got really scared, you know, of course I second guessed it and went and told my dad, he rushed me to the hospital. Um, Apparently, you know, thankfully I did not put myself into a coma, but they said that my organs were seriously shutting down. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a close call, but I made it. I went to, um, uh, you know, a mental health 
place, like a lockdown one yeah. for a couple of weeks. Psychiatric centers. I, yeah. yeah, I don't even know what they call them anymore. So, yeah, I get that's what it is. Yeah, you know. So after that, nothing changed at all. I mean, okay. of course, I just kept getting worse and worse. <laughs> and uh, so ninth grade comes around. You know, I'm never at home. Ever. Okay. I'm never going to school. Um, I'm in with, you know, the worst kids, you know, like that were around because I was one of them. We yeah. were just lost, yep. really. So, of course, those are the people I attracted. And, you know, one day when we were all ditching school, we were at a barn next to the high school I went to. It was like an abandoned barn though. Like mm -hmm. I don't even think any of us knew who owned it, but everyone would hang out there apparently for like years before us too. Mm -hmm. So that's where we were all at. And one morning I was just feeling extra, you know, ridiculous i guess and i just was ornery and i had definitely used but uh it wasn't anything significant like this is not what drove me to do this honestly okay. but i ended up lighting a fire inside that barn i found some wood and you know, I don't, this part of my story, I'm very ashamed of, but okay. honestly, I don't care because I've come out on the other side of it. Absolutely. And this really proves God, God's love. Mm -hmm. Now your story's gold. And forgiveness. So, yeah. <laughs> so when I was, you know, in freshman year, whatever, I start that fire. Well, what I found to start that fire was a wooden cross and a tank of gasoline, you know, like, wow. like a gas can of it. Yeah. And I poured it all over the cross. Um, there were about seven other kids there with me. Mm -hmm. um, I lit it on fire and I was honestly mad at God. I, I believed in him. I, okay. I had grown up with him. So I know he's real. Okay. But I was mad at him because all the pain and trauma I had yeah. already endured, you know, I didn't get it. It just didn't make any sense. Like I say, Yeah. <laughs> so me being mad at him, I was yelling things like saying, you know, implying that I was very mad at God. Okay. While this was burning. Sure. Okay. So everyone around me was very uncomfortable, obviously, because sure. it seemed a little satanic or something like <laughs> I was just young, though, you know, didn't I wasn't thinking it was that you serious. were expressing your feelings the only way you knew how. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, realizing how big that fire got. I stayed and I put it out. I didn't want anything to happen or anyone to get hurt. Yeah. So, you know, I whacked it out with a rug. Some other kids stayed with me to help me put it out. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I just made a huge mistake. Sure. And so at the end of that, the police came in, you know, with their guns drawn, they didn't know <laughs> what they were going to walk in. No, they didn't. Yeah. So, you know, that was a big thing. Um, well, and the cops know what happens at the barn. Okay. Even I know about yes. the barn. I grew up in Littleton. I know about the barn. We used yeah. to go there after we'd hang out at Daniel's Park. Um, so, yeah, the cops know it's there. So when they go walking in there, they're expecting trouble. Yes, literally. And they, yeah. So, you know. They had their guns drawn. Everyone was like, oh, my goodness. Of course, me, I was being sarcastic. I didn't take anything <laughs> serious. Like, I just was fearless. I don't know what my problem was. <laughs> so I had a big issue with authority, uh -huh. you know, huge. 
And so whatever they bring us inside the school, they had us all write our police reports. Um, you know, after that, so what they were trying to charge me with was burglary and arson. Okay. They were both felonies, which got dropped to criminal tampering. Now, none of this is even on my record, you know, yeah. um, but that did cause a big problem for me. I mean, I was locked up for five years after that. Okay. Um, off and on though, I had freedom when I would run away. Okay. So now, now when you say locked up, does that mean that you were in juvie or were you in group homes, treatment centers? Was it a plethora of all of them? All of them. Okay. Yeah. Group homes were very short lived. I was in a community group home for like a collective two months. Okay. And the rest of it, I was in staff secure or completely secured facilities. Okay. Now, because um, I, w- I went through that also at about the same age, um, you know, and I hadn't done necessarily anything wrong. I was just a very angry person. So they put me so they, you know, they pushed me away again. Um, yeah. And that was a big factor for me. Uh, that's where a lot of my a lot of my uh, PTSD comes from. Yeah. Um, but my question is. Do you, I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, growing up, I was a small, I was a little white boy, right? And then I go from white suburbia to group homes and it's a different world. And I had to learn how to survive. And I I became a smarter thief in Mm -hmm. what happened. So I'm just curious if you went through that also. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, so after that fire, um, I still wasn't going to school. So I caught charges, was on probation, wasn't going to school. Okay. Which is what, oh, and so in between (laughs) (laughs) the first part of my freshman year, right? Like, um, it was probably honestly like six months, the first six months of freshman year, I was, or maybe I'm getting this mixed up anyway. It doesn't matter. It all flows together. Anyway, I was in a toxic relationship with somebody, of course, my first boyfriend and we were using together all Mm -hmm. the time, every day, you know, drinking, um, ecstasy, Oxycontin was then introduced and mm. I was smoking them all the time, snorting them, taking them, whatever. So I was just doing anything I could get my hands on, which attributed to my completely emotionally unstable teenager brain. Mm-hmm. And so I... Um, I, he, he was cheating on me. Okay. Okay. But at the same time I was cheating on him, but I, I didn't understand. Like I was just so unstable. Right. So the fact that he wanted other girls hurt me so bad and they were like rubbing it in my face and making fun of me. And it was a big thing. Like they were humiliating me all the time over it. And it got to be way too much. I was constantly getting in fights, you know, you know, I, it was crazy. So I, I, (laughs) that's what my dreams are about. My PTSD dreams are about people setting me up to look like a failure or putting me down or not wanting to be a part of, you know, and that came from not finding out, you know, my mom being an alcoholic, not finding out that my parents were my parents. See, I went through that also. Um, you know, we came from a different, we kind of came, our parents came from a different age where they didn't really talk about their feelings. So they didn't fill us in. Um, but I bet you, I bet you already knew that they weren't your real parents. I would, I, you would probably start to figure that out, but it's just, yeah. you know, I just, I saw that correlation there. Um, so I wanted to jump in on it. Um, 
So sorry, I interrupt. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> you actually just brought something up for me that I should have added about my childhood. So my parents, of course, were dealing with the death of their firstborn child. You know, oh, my gosh, it was the worst thing ever. And my dad loves us so much. Like, he is the most loving human being. Like, he is just, he loves us, like, so much. So, so, so much. And he will do anything for us and any he'll go to Mm -hmm. the ends of the earth to keep us safe so the fact that he couldn't keep my mom's my biological mother safe Mm -hmm. just killed him yeah you know so me growing up i had to deal with that um and also my mom my grandma mom she was an alcoholic before my biological mother died so growing up she was always in her room i mean of course you know she was she came out she cooked stuff like Mm -hmm. that you know we went on vacations together and stuff but she was in her room a lot and i noticed i think that was her way of detaching she just drink and stay in her room you know it was probably hard for her to be raising me you know, being reminded of Tiffany yeah. every day. That was my mother's name, Tiffany. Okay. So, nice name. I like that name. Oh, thanks. I do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. And she kind of, you know, wouldn't hug me a lot or say I love you a lot. She was detached. It was her way of dealing with the trauma. Yeah. She fear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that also made me feel a little inadequate, I guess. Um, But anyway, jumping forward. So I had another suicide attempt because of the cheating, which Mm -hmm. I guess I can really blame it on that. But it was I was just completely unstable and didn't know who I was. I had very Mm -hmm. low self-esteem. Well, it was a catalyst. So you were already kind of there and they just pushed you right off so it was the catalyst that made it happen yeah absolutely yeah you were gaslit yes yes oh my goodness yes Mm -hmm. so after that um that suicide attempt i was already on probation so i kind of had the team of people now who could tell me what to do and where to go and intervene with stuff like this so i stayed in a psychiatric unit for two weeks and then i got transferred to my first residential treatment center at the age of 14 okay and i when i found out that i was going to it was i went to excelsior in aurora it's Mm. now closed down Mm -hmm. um but yeah i went there yeah it kind of you know it had a its lot of place and craziness yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was but they always had beds and it served a purpose it really absolutely now now there's nothing and i'd rather yeah. have half a shit show than nothing you know yes so absolutely so you know went to excelsior for four months okay um got out and i was still using and drinking and everything um but while i was in excelsior actually my cousin found my biological father on facebook okay and i had been wanting to contact him ever since i found out i'd ask my parents all the time can you find a way to get a hold of him you know they never really could, to be honest. They would try this number that they had for his mom, like way back in the day. But, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, that um, I met him. And then um, when I got out of Excelsior, I there was this one day I was drinking. Um, And this was only, I'm, it was only maybe four months after I got out of Excelsior, I 
got super duper drunk and went home and I was very belligerent and out of control completely. Um, and so my mom, I was trying to leave and she wouldn't let me leave. So she called the police and, you know, they tried to defuse the situation. They let me stay at my apartment. We were living on the third story. Okay. Um, and then I, they went downstairs, the ambulance, the fire truck, like everyone was there, you know, then, so they went back downstairs right after they went back downstairs. I tried to jump off the balcony. Like I Whoa. jumped off the balcony and my mom, I'm so thankful. She, she caught me. I mean, I don't know how she got over to me so fast but she caught me by my ankles and pulled me over the balcony. So I almost, I was diving face first to the ground. Yeah. You know, so my mom saved my life that day. And lately that instance has been on my mind. I don't know why I haven't really dealt with that yet in the past few weeks really been in the forefront of my mind. Maybe it's about to start working on it. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause that was so traumatic. And I feel bad for my mom going through that trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, so of course after that, um, they took me to the hospital and um then my probation officer arranged for me to go to uh, I don't remember, it was either I think it was a sixty day rehab up in glenwood springs called the youth recovery center yeah and it was wonderful i absolutely loved it there um oh sorry let me back up so (laughs) (laughs) i i jumped off that balcony went to the hospital got out of the hospital my PO told me, well, you cannot stay in Parker anymore. Yeah. So I went to go live with my biological father for, uh, I mean, this was literally okay. for like a week All right. before and I what went was he? to YRC in oh. Colorado Springs. Oh, was he? So he was in state. Awesome. Yes. Okay. So, um, but in between that in between that week literally because of course i was like i'm going to rehab i'm going to go hard yeah so and then the ex-boyfriend who was cheating showed up to the party okay we we went to a party whatever he showed up to this party i was at with another girl okay so i this really older guy i was 15 this guy was 30 at the time i think okay um, he knew that I was upset and he just kept shoving caribou loose in my face. So one fifty-one, yeah. I was chugging him cause I didn't want to think about it. Well, anyway, this guy ended up, uh, raping me that night. And so when I went to the youth recovery center, yeah, I reported him, Yeah, but I didn't make it fast enough when they did all the tests. You know, I had showered since yeah, I was ashamed. And my bio- yeah. And my biological father was telling me it was my fault. And oh, my gosh, it was just so, so traumatic. Um, you know, it was it was terrible. And I I I was testifying and going through this court stuff for about four years maybe to try and get him convicted um but in the end i didn't because i was locked up okay of course you know and at the end of the trial they asked me they were like do you want him to be convicted um you know and because of the situation I was in, I had just caught a felony escape charge, but they dropped it. Okay. Um, and that was about to be on my adult record because I was 18. Yeah. So I forgave him and I said, no, he, you know, just made a mistake and I don't want him to be charged. I just hope he learns from this. I don't know why I said that. 
Okay. But of course, it blew up in my face. And, uh, you know, he went around saying, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't get charged. But if only people really knew that it was just yeah. really nice. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> in between those treatment centers, all that, I ended up at a group home. I ran away from that um, after three weeks. That, and it was in December, December okay. of... I don't know, 2011 or something. Okay. And I, um, I was 15 and I ran away, ended up in Denver. Um, and the, that was the first time I tried heroin, okay. uh, was with some Satanist that I found on 16th street. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the first time I did it, I lied. They said, have you ever done this before? And I was like, oh, yeah. And they were like, well, like, let's do it together. And I was like, sure. And they were like, have you shot it? I said, yep. I just lied, though. And they were like, good, because sure. I don't want to share any if you don't shoot it because it's a waste. That's yeah. what they said. So I was like, OK, mm -hmm. cool. And I, um, you know, the first time I did it, I shot it up. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, it was when that Occupy Denver thing was going on and all Whoa, the people yeah. were sleeping in tents. Uh-huh, yeah. This was in December. Um, so, yeah, I ended up with some gypsies, like, in a tent. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was about to blizzard. It was really, really cold, snowy. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 15 on the streets. I just mm -hmm. had to be street smart and know what I was doing, I guess. So I met this guy who had just got out of prison. Um, he walked up to me and told me that, you know, I could come stay in his motel with him. Okay. And all this stuff. And basically I told him, I was like, I don't want to be trafficked. I yeah. straight up said that. And mm -hmm. he told me, well, basically he showed me his DOC paper with okay. his DOC number, his name and his picture and said, this is who I am. Tell somebody, call someone, tell them you're staying with me and where we're staying at. We were in the Aurora motel on Colfax. Okay. And, you know, so that's what I did. I stayed with him for a week. We were just in, we were just constantly doing heroin together, shooting up the whole time. Okay. Um, you know, I had bruises all over myself from itching. I had scratched yeah. off moles mm -hmm. on my body and just, oh my gosh, I looked so terrible. Um, and then after that, um, I ended up getting arrested on Christmas Eve, spent Christmas in jail, you know, spent about six months in juvie probably. And okay. then they found another treatment center for me to go to. And, you know, I would stay on the run in and out of facilities, relapsing mm -hmm. constantly, coming back into jail and getting sick, all that stuff. So detoxing in jail, this and that. So then fast forward, I get pregnant. Um, you know, I was not clean. I had been off parole though, you know, all that okay. stuff, but I was not clean. Okay. I wasn't doing heroin at the time, but I was on Oxycontin, a lot, a lot of Oxycontin all day long. Yeah. Um, I was also doing cocaine because I was so tired and mm -hmm. I was, you know, going to beauty school. I was, I just didn't know I was pregnant. I was dealing with oh, being okay. tired. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I would do a line of Coke to get out of bed, do it all day long. You know, that was my life. And then I'd come down with the pills. Okay. And the day I found out I was pregnant, it was 11 o'clock at night. I was super, you know, messed up, whatever. Um, at that point, I never did coke again, of course, during my whole pregnancy. But then I did have to taper myself off of the Oxycontin. Oh, yeah. Um, I told my doctor about it. They wanted me to get on Suboxone. I didn't want to do that. So... I told my doctor about it. 
the, what I was doing and everything. I was very honest. Um, I ended up getting off of the Oxycontin, which was good. Had a beautiful baby girl named Serenity. Aww. She is so amazing. And, you know, I stayed clean for about three weeks after I gave birth to her. Then I relapsed on pills on the Oxycontin again. Mm-hmm. Um, from then on, it just spiraled out of control. You know, I ended up relapsing on heroin again. Okay. And... um got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I literally lost jobs. I, I'm a cosmetologist. Okay. And I, you know, was working at Floyd's and I was in the brunt of a serious, serious relapse. Okay. And, you know, they called me out on it and I had to quit. Okay. And I was nodding out, cutting people's hair is very embarrassing. Okay. Um, but, you know, I was just trying to numb the pain. So anyway, mm-hmm. I uh, went through, you know, a hard time. I would always just leave my daughter with my mom or my sister or her dad or something because I never wanted her around, which I'm not saying I was perfect and was mm-hmm. able to completely keep her away from me. Um, of course, I never let her see anything, but, you know, okay whatever that shit made me feel very bad. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> so, that we don't, we don't want them to see us doing this. So right. then we just don't spend time with them when we should just not be doing that and going. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. I was, um, I was an absentee father for a long time, but I'm not anymore. So that's right. We can redeem ourselves. Mm-hmm. We really can. And, um, so, Now I want to get into the recovery part because that's what I think is the most impactful part of my story because, oh, well, throughout all the jails, rehabs, whatever I was going through, I rekindled my relationship with God completely. And you know, so I became very close to him. We have an amazing relationship, the energy. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry about the little disruption, guys. I need a little break. So we're going to get back to it here, Sierra. Apologize for that. That's um, okay. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Absolutely. You know, so, okay. Right before I got clean, like, like where my sober date is now. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was desperate to to stop using, but I didn't know how. And I honestly, now looking back, I didn't really want it yet. Mm-hmm. So my solution was going out to New Jersey with my brother. This happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe September, I don't know, September, okay. 2019. Um, I went out there, you know, because in New Jersey, Medicaid pays for a medical detox and for long-term, okay. uh, for a residential treatment okay. program. Yep. So I got on Medicaid out there super quick. I was only out there nine days. This was very short lived. Uh, went to detox, you know, my family out there, my brother and his three kids who are in high school and his wife, they were all very stressed out about me, of course, you know, okay. and when I was in that detox, everybody in there was getting a case of the buckets, you know, we were yep. all watching people leave before us. I was only in there for three days. I mean, I don't know what my problem was. I had done a lot more time than that, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't ready to change. I wasn't ready to do whatever it took. So I ran away from that detox with a guy who I met in there. It was nothing romantic. Uh, His wife also helped me get out, but little did I know they were very unstable Oh my gosh, she was, they were insecure, had no trust. She thought we were sleeping together. It turned into okay. this huge, crazy thing. Yep. Uh, when they, when she picked me up from the detox, um, I, we went to Patterson, 
we went into town and got some fentanyl and, you know, some crack and some Mm -hmm. other stuff. And I relapsed that night, of course, coming right out of the detox. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, I went home right after that. Okay. Okay. Like went home two days after that happened, you know, Uh, that night when I came home, I relapsed and I overdosed that night. Okay. Um, I didn't go to the hospital, um, but the guy that I was with told me that I just, you know, started making that noise. Like yeah. when you're out of air, like, eh, like yeah, that wheezing, kind of yeah. wheezing. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. That is a scary sound too. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the dude I was sitting with, he didn't inject it, <clears throat> but I did. Okay. And so he was freaking out. Um, he told me when I came out of it, he told me that he had to literally slap me awake. I had no idea. I thought he was joking. Like, okay. you know, so I really, he told me I stopped breathing for a second. That was yeah. crazy. That didn't stop me though at nope. all. Mm-mm. And uh, you're not scared you know, of death. No. <laughs> not then you almost want to die yeah because you, know, you want it to be mystery. over with yep yeah I, and you I don't see that. a way out mm-hmm. so considering you know my addiction at this point had gone on for almost 10 years you know mm-hmm. at least my heroin addiction so what maybe at this point it was at like eight eight years okay. um off and on so I finally got sick of it and I walked into a methadone clinic because I figured, okay, I am sick of my ideas. My ideas don't work. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to get clean. I don't know how to stay clean. Yeah. I need to learn how to live again, but I also needed to be a mother while I did this. I was not willing to pawn my daughter off on someone while I went to rehab. I hear I, that. I'm with, and you know what? I'm with you on that. And then yeah. they probably told you, well, you got to do it for yourself. That's I right. don't care. You know what? I got sober for my wife and my kids because I love them. Yeah. I didn't love yes. myself. And I want my kids and my wife and or my wife and my kids in my life. So isn't that for me? I could, you know, Absolutely. if you need to, if you need to manipulate it a little bit to get you sober, I don't care. Go for it. Please do it. Yeah. Yes. If your reason is good and like, if it's good enough for you and it, because, okay, here's, here's my theory, I guess, speaking okay. from my own personal experience. Yeah. Recovery is literally a choice. Mm-hmm. You choose to stop using that is it you choose 100 i am not going to use today i refuse to use today every single day you make that decision and you deal with whatever comes with that all the hard feelings all the intense therapy all the learning experiences learning how to communicate with people learning how to conduct yourself in professional confrontations yeah how to you know rekindle situations how to take accountability for yourself all that absolutely Um, i think i forgot what i was where i was going you were on a roll and i wasn't gonna stop you (laughs) (laughs) so you know all that stuff i had to learn how to do all of that. But what I knew is that I was not going to use. There is no excuse to use anymore. None, no excuse. There's just not for me at all. And I even think about, Oh, what if my mom passed away? She is my best friend, my rock. But, uh, I, I won't use, I, and I've prepared myself for that. I think about this, like, what is the worst situation that would make you want to use, but I will not use. So anyway, yeah, that is what recovery takes, making the serious, actual conscious decision and mean it to not use. Yeah. And so that's what I did, um, you know, and 
I got a really incredible therapist through my methadone clinic. Fantastic. And oh my gosh, she is wonderful. She's been in recovery. Um, Those are the best. For 27 years. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, she's been through it. She was using, she's a heroin addict in South Africa. Like she, she went through some shit. Okay. And I love listening to her. I love hearing her, her feedback and her support and just everything. So anyway, that is who was brought into my life through this clinic. And I surrendered to everything really. I, and I just, I, I used her guidance. Well, at least Mm -hmm. I really was leaning on her in the beginning. Sure. Support systems are huge Mm -hmm. in recovery. Yep. As long like, as well as spirituality and, oh my goodness, you need a connection with your higher power. You need to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and your heart and your soul. Like you really do. You need to feed your soul like nutrients, which is spiritual nutrients. Yep. So, um, yeah. Okay. I literally, okay. And another thing I wanted to talk about too. So my sober date is December 28th, 2019. Okay. Um, and I kind of wanted to bring up, so I am still in medicated assisted treatment. I still am on methadone. Okay. and there's a stigma around that, you know, saying, yeah. well, if you're on methadone or Suboxone, you are not really clean. And that is some BS because. The, yeah. You tell them why you did. That, tell them. Yes. Because so, you know, opiate addiction is such, it gets in your head. You have rewired your mm-hmm. neural pathways. Yep at this point and that is your the way you're wired now is to be an addict so and you know not even mentioning the physical withdrawal of course that's a lot of we're yeah we're just talking about the brain right there right and right there's so many components to any addiction but you know of course something physically addicting like opiates benzos alcohol things like that Mm -hmm. so you know, um, methadone has taught me how to live a sober life again. Mm-hmm. It has, it, it, and I didn't have to be sick to like physically sick and withdraw. Like that is not an effective way for some people it is, but most people it is not. No, we it's have not. to learn how to live again. Mm-hmm. We really do. And how to love ourselves again and how to be in our own skin. Because mm-hmm. when we're using, we just like hate ourselves. I mean, yeah. we just want to escape to the point where we don't even know what our own name is, yeah. but that never happens because we yeah. can't escape ourselves, but we want to. Mm-hmm. I, I literally wanted to burn down the world, man. Yeah. I didn't care yes. for anyone. And if you got in the way of my drinking, we're going to have a very serious problem, but Period. I kind of, I want to cover that uh, people that tend to say that, um, well, if you're on Suboxone and you know what, dude, shut your mouth because you haven't been there. You don't know. You don't want to okay. know. So go sit in the freaking corner. Um, fortunately for me, my mom had pounded into my head that I had a problem unlike other people. So I stayed away from, from, from drugs. And I was lucky yeah. in that sense. You know, so who am I to say that's wrong? I mean, is Suboxone destroying your life? No. Is it destroying your relationships? No. Is it making you better? Yes. You know, um, I take head meds. You know, it. Oh, yeah. I I take deloxetine every now and again. My PTS flares up. My doctor gives me Ativan. I hand it straight to my wife. Yeah. I wasn't a drug addict, but I still got to be accountable, right? Because, yeah, you know. And a lot of times it just sits there because, like, oh, now I have it and I feel comfortable and now I don't need. Well, so sometimes it's just the action of a doctor saying, yeah, you're right. You are going through that and I believe you. 
Um, So Sierra, way to advocate for yourself. I think that's a huge part of recovery is advocating for ourselves because we matter, man. We do. Absolutely. Uh, If you guys hear me muting here and there, so people are coming home. So, so what's life like for you now? So you look look bright eyed, you look healthy, you look good. Thank you. It's wonderful. Life is wonderful. Like literally. So, and I am actively every two weeks because I'm at the highest level in my methadone clinic. I pick up my medication every two weeks. I have had all clean UAs since December, you know, 2019. That's what matters to me, man. Oh yeah. It's just incredible. Like, and I love that I have proof, like, (laughs) <laughs> Anytime, if anyone wants to like accuse me of, oh, maybe you're acting different. I'm like, go buy a UA right now. Let me take it because yeah. I'm so proud yeah. of my progress. And I, you know, you. I have, you know, people in my life, like my family, some of my family are not sober, clean and sober. So okay. there are sometimes there has been heroin around me. Sometimes there has been cocaine around me. Okay. But I stay sober mm-hmm. and I walk away as fast. You know, of course, like, I don't know it's going to come up, but when it well, does. Sure. You, yeah. I mean, if you knew you wouldn't be there. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to you put know. yourself in those. Well, those are you're rewiring your brain. So your day is about got to pick up the kids. Um, I have a podcast at this. I got a meeting. You know, it's filled with healthy choices that we've yeah. made. And that's how we become different what's yes. your relationship like with your daughter now oh my gosh dude we are best friends oh that's you so don't cool. understand like every five seconds she's always like i love you mom Aww. you're so precious <laughs> you're so amazing i love you but that's because these are things i say to her constantly i'm mm-hmm. constantly hugging her kissing her telling her she's so smart so beautiful intelligent funny you know, inspirational. I tell her all of these things and I spend so much time with her and on her development. And oh my gosh, I, I dip into my parenting curriculum that I purchased, you know, and I do my step work through the narcotics anonymous, like book or whatever, you know, step working guide. Certainly. Um, I do my therapy every week. It's so So, wonderful. So she sees you doing this stuff all the time. And now that's going to be, you know, we're breaking generational addiction. Yes. That's what you're doing is you're breaking the cycle. Good on you. I'm very determined to do that as well. And I, I'm going to raise serenity um, kind of in a treatment like environment. I mean, not really, but she the I'm going principles. to make sure yeah, yeah. that we focus on um, healthy coping throughout her childhood. Yeah. She's going to know how to express her emotions. Hopefully, like I'm going to do the things that I can to hopefully deter an addiction. Hopefully she won't, she won't have to numb herself. And if she does, I'll deal with it then too. And I'll love yeah. her through it. I'm not going to set any expectations, but I'm going to do what I can through mm-hmm. what I've learned and that's, to give her a different life. Yeah. That's prevention. Yeah. So in other words, yes. you're giving her different options, options we didn't have. And that's yes. not our parents fault guys. I know it's breaking a generational curse. Sure. My parents did some things that fucked me up, but they did the best that they could, man. I mean, I do the best that I can. Um, But I mean, life is so great now because I'm, I'm a free man. So I get to do what it is that I want every day. But what I want is to be a good example. That's what I want in life. Um, I want what other people have in a good aspect. Yes. In a positive aspect and a healthy one. Me uh, too. So I try and be that person. And when I try and be that person, I just turn into that person. Absolutely. And yes. And come to find out I'm I'm a pretty cool guy, man. It turns out I know that that's I'm, right. I'm not a jerk. I'm not mean. I'm I I'm not that person I thought I was. Mm-hmm. So 
Good on you, Sierra. So um, are you still, um, what kind of work are you doing? Are you still in the same type of work then? Yes, I, um, I, I do men's hair. I work in like kind of a full service men's salon. Um, I'm an independent contractor and I'm almost to the point where I can take my clientele to like my own place, you know? Well, so that'll be really cool. Yeah. Why don't we do some posting on there? Um, I, I actually need a haircut, so I may come see you. Yes, please Um, do. I would literally love that. It's in, it's in Parker too. Okay. Uh, what salon are you working out of? Lady Jane's right next to Duncan. Okay, so Lady Jane's guys, um, uh, Duncan, Lincoln that's right. Lincoln and Parker. Yeah, Lincoln and Parker over there. Um, go on over there and see Sierra to get your hair cut if you guys are in Parker. Um, well, that's the thing is everybody in recovery has a specialty, and we should utilize that. You know, yes. uh, I always, if I need plumbing done, I have people in sobriety that come to it. Because I want to, I want to keep it in the family, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. support wanna, people. Yeah, because then I know that that money is going to go to their table and feed and feed their kids and and create yeah. a happy life, man. So yes, I know that's right. And we could talk about recovery too. Like that really helps me. Like helping other people with recovery and giving them support and stuff. So I'm going to be starting. Uh, classes soon. I haven't signed up all the way yet. I'm still looking into programs, but I'm going to be a substance abuse counselor. I can help you do that. (laughs) Really? I I, I actually train recovery coaches. That's what my business does. Um, So we'll talk after and let's find out your passions and go through. I was actually going to recommend that, um, that you maybe look at becoming a recovery coach because I think you'd be very, very good at it. Um, you just have that personality type. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. So let's let's talk about that at some point. See what we can do. See, that's the yeah. joy that I in my life that I get to do. Um, I'm one of those people that's fortunate enough I get to do this all day long. Um, so I am getting out of self all day long, and I and so what I get to do is people come to me with their passions, and and then I get to help them find it, and uh, I love it. Because they light up, their life becomes good, everybody, you know. So, um, God's blessed me very much. Um, And just like your story, listening listening to all of that, um, I kind of felt like God was setting you up um, for your daughter. For some reason, that's what's connecting for me. me. So, um, you know, we always hear, you know, would you die for your children? Sure. But would you get well for them? Period. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dying is easy. Getting well is not. So, no. um, but nothing, nothing worth having is easy because it's the road that takes us there and trudging it and feeling the feelings that accounts yeah. for the accomplishment. So, That's right. Um, feeling. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say feeling is a blessing. It really it is. is. Feeling uncomfortable emotions is a blessing because that means that you're healing. Feeling you're is healing. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, um, you know, let's say you got a scratch and after a couple of days kind of itches it's cause, and it's uncomfortable because it's healing. That's right. Absolutely. If you are uncomfortable, if you're having drunk dreams, you're probably healing. Yeah. People, I don't want to drink. No, you don't. That was kind of the whole point of the drunk dream. <laughs> yep. Yes. So do you, do you have any uh, parting words that you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, I would just like to say that if you are going, if you are in medicated assistant treatment like me, um, see, I started at 115 milligrams. I go down 10 milligrams a month. Okay. Uh, very steadily. I'm very determined to get off. This is going to be a short lived thing for me. Um, you know, so I'm at, I'm at like 58 milligrams. Now I've gone down about half. So my, okay. I would say if you are struggling with opiates, please get yourself into a clinic and, 
forget about the stigma surrounding it because they yeah. will it will help you learn mm -hmm. how to live a sober life again and they can give you treatment resources and all these amazing things and it holds yep. you accountable and that's the big thing holding you accountable yes absolutely well and it's you're not just doing the suboxone though and you are talking you're being honest with your you're being totally honest with your doctor and your therapist and so it's not like you're just on suboxone no you're you're utilizing suboxone to help you get to a better place but you still gotta do the work or this right or this boxing doesn't do anything that's right see and right and it's like you know, for some people, Suboxone works really well. For some people, Methadone work really well. Yeah. I've tried both. Methadone for me was like the best option. It changed my life. But one or the other, you know, don't feel bad. Take it as prescribed. And when it's time to come off, this is not a lifelong thing. Nope. When it's time to come off, you just, uh, what's the word? Like um, decrease your dose. Mm -hmm very steadily um only do as much as you can handle yep um you know i can handle five milligrams at a time that's their like highest limit but it okay. works for me and i like it and yeah so don't don't give up that's what i have to say don't give up if you've been through Great. some traumatic things in your life and you know they're holding you back if you want to escape from yourself and you just don't know how to drown out this pain you need to work on it. That is, that is what is going to drown out the pain by working on it and releasing it. Mm -hmm. So there, ask there, for help. Yeah. There's power in pen to paper and there's power in talking. Journaling um, and talking. Yes. Yeah. I, I always recommend um, journaling or even just writing, just sit down and write. All right. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, you can free yourself. So, but I have a feeling we could probably talk on that for another 15 minutes. So, um, I have a feeling you're probably going to be back on the show with some professional, um, maybe some more educational stuff and, and experience. Um, Sierra, thank you very much. I had a great time talking to you and I appreciate you taking your time and coming on here and telling your story. Um, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, we kind of, you know, this almost didn't happen, but um, Sierra and I, I don't know, we were just like, hey, now it works. So it worked yep. out for us. So, um, well, everybody, thank you for, for being on. What a great story. What a great story. If I'm going to say anything to end on this, I'm going to go with what Sierra was saying. Um, don't fight stigma. Don't battle it. People are people. They're going to do who cares what they think, right. because I'm going to tell you the only person that matters is you. It's between you and God. Nobody yes. else matters. Right. So um, and if somebody does have a problem with it, feel free to give me a call. Go ahead and put my food up their ass. I don't have a problem. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's recovery looks different. Yeah. So don't let people determine that for you. That's between you and God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your sponsor, your doctors, your therapist, and then follow direction. I, I'm telling you, you'll make it. You'll make it. Absolutely. All right, guys. This has been another uh, episode of Raw Recovery, a Trudging Together podcast. I love you guys. You know I do. Peace out and have a day.